Life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to episode 56 of the Intentional Leader Podcast, where we help you lead yourself, inspire others, and make the world a better place. I believe that each of us have a unique contribution to make to the world, and I hope that this podcast can be a community to help you stay focused and find inspiration, even when things get tough in this often challenging world. If you're new here, first of all, thank you so much for joining Thank you for giving us your time. We release a new episode every other Tuesday, sometimes with a bonus episode mixed in there. And if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. I know that I really only listen to the podcasts that I subscribe to. We have a lot of wonderful content coming out and subscribing will help you make sure you get every episode that we have coming out in 2021. Today's guest is amazing. Her name is Trudy Bourgeois. She is unreal. You're going to fall in love with her. She's dynamic. She's fun. She's incredibly inspiring. She's one of America's leading experts on transformational leadership and a highly regarded leader in the field of leadership and diversity and inclusion. She's the founder and CEO of the Center for Workforce Excellence, and she's been leading organizations for nearly two decades, known as the truth teller. I love that. Bourgeois has a very rare ability to tackle very difficult subjects, such as race and bias without triggering negative emotions. She's the author of four leadership books, and she's the winner of numerous awards. I actually got connected with Trudy through my dear friend Ryan Brents, who I interviewed on episode 20. Trudy's daughter, Mary Ellen, and Ryan got married back in 2017 at a beautiful ceremony in Texas that I was fortunate enough to attend. During this conversation, we talk about what life was like for her as a elementary school student in Alabama, while her school was integrating. We also talk about how she overcomes self-doubt, the importance of affirmations, how she started the Center for Workforce Excellence. We talk about coaching, leadership, how to create a diverse and inclusive team, and much, much more. This was a fun, exciting, inspiring conversation. If you want to see more about Trudy and see her full bio and links to connect with her, just go to my website, calwalters.me. I also want to thank all of you that have taken the time to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. You doing that helps us become more accessible to people really from all over the world. I'm amazed at the people who tune into this podcast from all over the globe, from dozens and dozens of other countries, and you are doing that. You're making that possible. And I just want to thank you for that. So without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the inspiring and uplifting Trudy Bourgeois. Trudy, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited that we finally get to sit down and have this conversation. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much, and congratulations on all your work. Well, it's uh, it's so fun to have you here. I am such a fan of your daughter and your son-in-law, two two great friends of mine, and two people I look to up to a lot. And I am so impressed with the work that you do. In fact, I was preparing for this conversation. I came across a description of you. It says that in the 60s, she integrated her elementary school in Alabama. In the 70s, she was selected as one of America's brightest future leaders. In the 80s, she became the first in a family of 10 children to graduate from college. In the 90s, she broke the glass ceiling in the consumer goods industry by becoming the first African-American woman to the rise to the level of VP. In the 2000s, she founded the Center for workforce excellence. And that's just a blur. There's a lot more to it, but I am just, what an amazing journey you've had. And I wanted to start by something that really caught my attention. And that's in the sixties, you being part of the integration of your elementary school in Alabama. Can tell us, kind of take us back to that time period and, and tell us what was that like for you? Well, you know, I was born in uh, 1959. So I, uh, December 1959 and, uh, so being born into segregation uh, was scary. Um, it was confusing um, um, because my parents uh, and my grandparents, you know, um, they were mixtures. My grandmother was the product of a slave and a slave master. So she appeared Caucasian. My other grandmother was African and Indian. And so I'm, I'm, I'm Creole, but my skin color um, uh, made it that much more difficult because 
uh, in segregation, you weren't accepted by the white people because you had dark skin. But even within the Creole community, um, if, you, if you weren't light, um, you weren't accepted either. And so the only two things I had going for me at that point was I had a good nose and I didn't have normal black hair. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was it. But, um, you know, those those formative years, um, as difficult as they were, were the catalysts for me doing what I do today. Um, you know, so in a lot of ways, it's like the dream for equality um, chose me. I, I didn't choose it. You know, I just knew that as a kid that I would be so afraid and my parents were afraid and like we couldn't play outside of the little circumference of the yard because the Klan would go through the neighborhoods looking for uh, unsupervised black kids to lynch. Wow. This this was real. Um, And, you know, even though I was excited about going to the good school and integrating um, the Catholic school uh, system there, uh, I got to tell you, my classmates were not very exciting and they were not excited at all, really, truth be told. And I was sped on and called bad words and just unimaginable uh, things that, um, that, you know, were, were not right. But, uh, at the same time, it's like uh, I had people around me who would speak possibility thinking into my life. I think we all should be trying to speak possibility thinking into other people's lives. And so my gram um, and my, my, my parents were like, there's no such word as can't. And even though you're going to be first to do a lot of things, you've got to keep your head up and, you know, you've got to realize that God has put you here at this time and on earth for a reason and just allow him to fulfill that. And so it became this, this really um, a blanket of comfort and just knowing that God was going to be with me and, I went on and um, and thanked the, the heavens above, did a lot of first. So I, I wasn't afraid. I sort of got this pioneer's mindset and, um, and um, I just wanted so much to experience success and not be, you know, poor anymore. And, you know, God love my parents. They worked two and three jobs, you know, to feed us first and then to to uh, put us through through school but um as difficult as those times were I, I still had hope I still do have hope because in the last couple of years I've had flashbacks um to my childhood because of things that are happening today not you know 50 years ago no things that are happening today that divide us and and cause um us to not like each other because of skin color. And, um, and you just wonder, you know, I, I want to hope and believe that God is using this to show people that we're all sisters and brothers in Christ, right? Um, I, that's my hope. That's what I hang on to. So, you know, the difficulty does, um, I think, uh, unearth a place inside of you where if you, if you can unearth that belief that things are going to get better, then no matter where you are, even if it's, you know, um, the only black kid at, at the, the school and, and going through what I went through, you, you know, something good's going to come out of it. That is so beautiful. And I, I have to imagine as you were navigating this just terrible racism in school, in your life, and you have what you call the, the, the possibility of thinking that's being put on you. But there still had to be those moments of self-doubt or frustration, or maybe you believe the lies of the people that you're, you're seeing at school who are telling you, you know, something to the effect that you're not good enough to be here. Like, how, how did you deal with those moments of self-doubt? Because I think we can all relate to feeling that, whether you've been through direct racism or not, you doubt, like, yeah. can I really accomplish this? Am I really worthy of going to college when, when yeah. other people aren't? Yeah, you know, um, I was telling Mary Ellen, um, we were having a conversation, and I think Ryan might have been a part of this conversation as well, but um, there are many dark days, don't let me kid you, <laughs> right? But um, there was a, a, um, an evangelist at the time, 
and his name was Oral Roberts. And he used to have the song. I don't even know the whole song and I can't sing. But he, uh, I would watch um, Billy Graham and Oral Roberts with my mom and my grandmothers. And, um, and uh, you know, in the, the music, it, was, it would say, you know, something good is going to happen today. Like, um, and, and so whenever I would have the points where I felt like nothing, like nothing, you know, I would, you know, talk to myself. I still talk to myself. I think, you know, you have to find a way to um, keep on getting back into the, into the game. And, you know, it was, it was not just the racism. It was um, all the kids that I went to school with, their families were rich. And we lived at the bottom of the hill where, you know, people uh, didn't have any resources. And, um, and I remember um, I used to go in the dirt. Gosh, you're bringing out some old stories. <laughs> I don't even know how I told this story out, out loud too often. But um, uh, I was so um, belittled by the fact that I was eating mayonnaise sandwiches and my, my um, school great friends were going to the cafeteria and they were, you know, having a real lunch. And um, so I used to actually go in the dirt behind the swings and all the change from these kids' pockets would fall into the dirt. No way. And I would scoop up those quarters and nickels and dimes. And I would go into the cafeteria and I would buy myself lunch and, just little things like that started to make me feel like, okay, um, it's going to be all right. It's, it's going to be all right. And there are just a gazillion examples that I can, you know, give to you um, that are still in my body. Hmm. And once you uh, are subjected to those kinds of experiences, you don't ever lose them. You learn to either cope or you learn to use them for the greater good. And fortunately, um, in the darkest moments when um, people would say, you can't do that. I mean, people used to, I used to say I wanted to be president of a company and people would pat me on my head and say, trade school. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I, you know. Um, so, so it's so important for any of your listeners to uh, figure out how are you gonna become your, your biggest fan, but not be arrogant and your own worst critic. How, how are you going to, um, inside of your, your body, inside of your head, inside of your heart, what, what are you gonna do? Because all of us have an itty bitty committee. It's the itty bitty committee of self-doubt, right? And we wonder, can we, um, or do we deserve? And honestly, you, 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 gotta, you gotta balance that thing out. Cause if not, you gotta shut that, that down. Man, it'll have you walking the floor at night. And many nights I walked the floor at night, particularly when I was in corporate and was getting rejected, you know, uh, uh, on a high level of frequency. I mean, you know, you would start to wonder, um, can I do it? Um, you know, and that's where that imposter syndrome comes mm -hmm. from, you know, all those things. But, but, you know, the other thing that I would say is, is, uh, because um, I wanted things to be different, I fell in love with change at a very early age. Like, so I love change. <laughs> I create change just to create change. <laughs> That's right. But, but um, if, you, if, you, if you have like a pioneer's mindset and um, – that's really, I think, if I had some language to describe how I would, would navigate, um, I, I had this, okay, I'm going to be first, but if I do it right, then somebody else is going to benefit. And, and so that's what started to grow inside of me. Like, okay, you are being used. And, and, and I um, just so wholeheartedly respected that my parents gave everything and they would, they would never taste the fruits of their sacrifices. And so how dare I um, crawl up at a ball, you know, when I know what I faced and I know that they faced things that were even that much more challenging. So I, I, I feel like we need to honor 
to the sacrifices of people who came before us. Um, and, and, um, and I feel like we have a responsibility to leave it better than what we found it. And that's what every leader should be focused on. It shouldn't be about them. They should be focused on what can I do um, to have a historical impact to the degree that the next generation or the next leader or the next group, that they have it easier, that they have it better. If you stay focused on that, then it's not going to make it any easier, but it, it does give you the fight to come back. That really resonates with me. And uh, something else you said, I want to go back to, you said that you have to talk to yourself. And I'm mm -hmm. curious, are there things that you come back to when you talk to yourself? Are there themes or, or, or things that you find that you say to yourself that you do over and over again? Because I, yes. I, I've I found that as I've talked to other people who are really high performers, who've been through some stuff. In fact, I was talking to John Gordon and he said, you know, you really got to talk to yourself. And I'm just, I'm curious for you, Trudy, are there things that the themes that you tend to say to yourself? So I, you know, I have an affirmation. Uh, I hope that if your listeners don't have an aspiration, uh, uh, affirmation rather that they, they get one. And I just say, I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm successful. I'm wealthy. I'm blessed by the word of the Lord. I'm equally await all the plans he has to prosper and bless me. And I'm ready. And wow. I, I mean, I tell myself that a lot. I mean, like a lot. <laughs> right. Um, and, and, you know, what, what's really uh, interesting is uh, I was just thinking the other day, you know, we've been so incredibly blessed and have been able to, to bless other people. And, uh, uh, in, in really ways more than I could even uh, imagine. Um, but if you don't talk to yourself, if you don't put something in there, the world is going to try and put something in there, right? And it's, it's going to be some kind of label. You know, as a woman of color, the label is, you know, you're still, as an entrepreneur, I still go through um, um, all the, the challenges that I went through in corporate. They're just more intense. Right. Um, and so you're you're in this world where inequities are for real, um, you know, you're you're always as a person of color, you're you're always in a state, a mind, uh, a mind space of um, what am I going to have to deal with today? Like like you don't wake up you know, and be like, oh, it's going to be a, a beautiful day. I mean, like literally, okay, we don't go into offices now, but literally, um, you know, uh, black and brown people, especially black people worry about getting shot by a police officer on, on the way to work. I mean, th these are not, although I've written books about them and uh, uh, many other people have as well. I, I think, um, it's forced us um, to, to find a formula um, because the world tells you every single day, even today, you're not good enough. Um, your background is not, you don't have the right pedigree. Um, you know, you don't have the wealth. Well, of course not. The freaking system is, is not set up for me to <laughs> have wealth. <laughs> if I don't talk to myself, then it can be very easy to slip into a space where you start to buy into that rhetoric that um, others uh, plant uh, in, and nurture as a seed to make them feel superior to you, right? Um, but, but my faith is a big part of who I am. And if I didn't have the faith, I probably could be a real angry person. <laughs> I, I think I would have reason and justification to be angry, but I don't, I don't wanna use my energy mm like that. I don't want to use my life like that. I, I, uh, I, I, I want to continue to, to, to figure it out and continue to use um, every opportunity for, for learning and, and for growth. I think that's the only way that you, you're going to thrive. I don't want to just survive and I don't want anybody who's listening to this conversation just to be waking up and going through Groundhog Day and just surviving. That, that's, that's horrible. You know, so, so whether it's affirmation or whether it's whatever, but you, you got to get some ritual. You got to get something, um, you know, that, that gives something to your soul, that feeds your spirit um, that you can hang on to. 
That's so good. Is there a, a period? Is there a time of day that you use that affirmation? Do you do it multiple times per day? Anytime the itty pity committee goes off <laughs> and it goes off. <laughs> Sometimes it goes off. Uh, I mean, it just really honestly, anytime, but you know, like sometimes let's say, you know, um, the CEO is going to be on the, the debriefing call or whatever, you know, like I'll go through this. Oh, he runs, you know, a hundred billion dollar company and he's got this and he's got that. He's got that. And then I go back and I say, I have me. Hmm. And I, I, I have me and I, you know, I'm just, I'm going to believe. And so Sometimes it's like 10 times a day. Sometimes it's not as bad, but, but I'm always um, praying, praying all day, all day, all night, whenever, um, you know, anybody that comes to my, to my mind. And I think the other thing that I do that helps me, I don't know if it will help your listeners, is um, I just try and be um, as grateful as I can. Like I, I remind myself and I, and I know that you know this is is going to sound really strange but you know when uh, growing up we had one bathroom okay so there's 10 people plus my parents oh wow and sometimes my grandparents so one bathroom I used to wait in line um, <laughs> and, and so now I walk through my house and it's five bathrooms and I'm like okay well thank you for the bathrooms okay so you know that, that might sound really crazy no Sometimes even, you know, Cal, um, when I'm getting in my bed, I'll say, Lord, thank you for the bed. Because I didn't have a bed of my own until I went to college. I slept in a king size bed with my four other sisters. And we were grateful when one of them left. And and so I think, you know, when you're when you try and focus on um, the things that are good, it does help to. just take your mind off of, you know, the things that might say, well, it's just so terrible. And it's, uh, you know, I mean, literally, I mean, it it may sound really crazy, but um, if if you've ever been poor or you've ever been lonely or you've ever been rejected, um, those are, those are emotions, like I said, that, that stick with you. So you, you, you can be ruined if you don't learn how to cope with them. So being grateful, you know, is a a, a way to acknowledge all the good that God has done and to remind yourself he's got, he's got good plans for you. Right. And so um, when, when, when the knees are a little shaky or, you know, I mean, I I, I do my due due diligence now. I I believe that there's only one word for confidence and that's preparation. So I'm going to do my homework. It's not that it's the, what you're talking about, it's the air of you're not good enough um, and the world um, doesn't want you and the world doesn't value you. And so if you don't value yourself, nobody else is going to value you. It's interesting. The last month, I I really have started to try to bring God into every part of my life. Uh, And it's interesting. I've had this kind of false belief or just way of living, I guess, in the past where I'll kind of compartmentalize God into like, I'll see you on Sunday or I'll, you know, it's whenever I'm reading my Bible, but like you said, bringing, you know, communing with him throughout the day and talking and, and even to the point of gratitude, like giving thanks for the little things throughout the day. It's so amazing how that has really allowed me to, to not rest so much in my own strength, but really try to give those little things over and offer appreciation in the little ways and instead of just overlooking the little things throughout the day that, that are, that are fantastic, that are miracles. Like how, how amazing that I have heat in this room or that I can talk to you right now over this microphone and we can, we can talk about this. And it's just, uh, I I love that perspective. Well, I want to get Trudy to the center for workforce excellence and get into some of kind of the organizational leadership that I think will really be valuable for, for everyone listening. So first tell us what led you to ultimately found the center for workforce excellence. So, you know, I had a level of success. People may describe it as a level of success uh, in corporate, 
But you know, Cal, I didn't like who I'd become. I could play the game a little too well. And I was out of integrity. I wasn't aligned with my value system. Um, and um, it was really funny. Um, Mary Ellen, I swear she doesn't remember this. It was dramatic for me, okay? She doesn't remember it. But, but on a Saturday, um, um, I was to take her to a volleyball tournament. And at that point, before we had home offices, like they set me up in an office in corporate, you know, I was too young and naive to know that that meant double work. Well, anyway, long story made short, um, Mary Ellen came to the door and she said, mom, come on, let's go. I don't want to be late. And I said to her, just give me one more second. I want to, you know, finish this email. And I probably did that probably three times. And then she just screamed at the top of her lungs. She was just like, and I thought, oh my God, what, what's wrong? Like I had the goosebumps come, come like something as bad as happened. And um, she spoke words that changed my life. And she said, mom, I don't want to be like you when I grow up. Ooh. Dagger to the heart. First, I wanted to just snap her little head off. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing I wanted to do but at the time. But the second thing, just tears just started flowing. Oh, wow. Like, what am I doing with my life? What is, what is happening? And so I, I, I went on just a, a journey of reflection about, you know, what um, true success would, would mean. And so I decided that I was either going to be a part of the problem or part of the solution. And, um, and so I, um, you know, I said, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, maybe find another job. And my husband, Mike was like, no, you know, that you've always wanted to help other people. Why don't you just get going? And, um, uh, that was almost 20 years ago. And, uh, we've been very fortunate, you know, we do, um, general, uh, leadership development, but I started initially just focusing on women because I knew what I'd gone through and I didn't want anybody else to go through that. And, uh, and, uh, a gentleman by the name of James White, who is now he's on a gazillion boards, but at the time he was at Farina Pet Care and he calls me, he said, Hey, I hear you're on the market because we had a mutual friend. And I said, I'm not on the market. And he goes, no, come on, come work for me. I'm like, dude, I am not on the market. I want to say the truth. I don't want to be in corporate America anymore. And so he said, okay, well, let me call you back. And he called me back a few days later. And he said, I have six women. Because uh, I told them, I said, I want to coach. I want to develop the next generation. And I think one of the things that, that uh, leaders really miss is their role as a coach and a teacher. I think that they miss that. They want to bark and tell. And we shouldn't do that. We should coach and unleash that potential. And so long story made short, uh, I coached the six women and he thought all of them could get to the C-suite and five of the six are either in the C-suite or, or general managers. And 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 that's how it began. And, um, and then you know, uh, honestly, I didn't want to have anything to do with diversity uh, inclusion because it was all foo-foo. I was a sales and marketing manager. I was like, where's my number, right? <laughs> my P&L. But um, as God would have it, everywhere I turned, these inequities came right back, right? And I went back to being a kid again saying, that's not right. What do you want to do about it? And uh, so that's how we then expanded and we do, a, uh, we're very blessed. We have a great client list. We work for a lot of Fortune 500. We work for a lot of Fortune 10s. Um, and, and I still have a heart for small businesses. So we still do that. And, um, and like I said, we've been helping uh, organizations transform their cultures uh, into uh, places where people do feel connected and belong and valued. Um, and the way that we do that is by building inclusive leaders. And you mentioned coaching and how a lot of leaders don't don't really view themselves as coaches. What what is a coach in your mind? What does a coach do? Well, I, I think a coach unleashes potential. That's what I think a coach does. I think a, a coach um, uh, helps you to to bring forth something that that you don't really even realize that you have, right? So you remember earlier we were talking about speaking possibility into 
people's spirits and souls. And I think a coach speaks possibility. So uh, that person then gets better. And, and, and if you're a true leader, you're not intimidated by someone getting better or smarter than you because we're supposed to be leaders who create other leaders. We're supposed to, to do that, right? And, and we're supposed to use our, our gifts and talents to teach. But most people are so busy that they just want to bark the orders. And then if people don't come through, they're like, what the hey? Mm-hmm. No, your, your role is to make sure that the, those individuals have whatever uh, information that they need, the clarity, the vision, the clarity, the strategy, and, you know, when leaders don't do that, their performance is not good. So you mentioned possibility thinking as part of being a coach uh, and, and being like a really good leader and, and bring, I guess what I want to get at is how do you bring out someone's potential? And you mentioned possibility thinking as being one of those, but like, yeah. are there, are there any other keys you think to really bringing out the potential in, in people? Yes. You ask a lot of questions. So when people will say, you know, I don't know that I can do that. Um, I'll just say, what, what makes you think that? And then they'll say something and I'll say, well, have you ever had any other challenges in your life before that, you know, you could talk about? Then they they realize, oh, OK, well, I came through that. And this, you can see the pattern in the way that I show up. Um, and, I, and I think the, the other thing is, is uh, a, a coach is, is really good about storytelling, really good. Uh, it's one of the, the, the new skills that the Harvard Business Review has been writing about. Um, people can see themselves in a story. Sometimes they may not be able to see your level of success, right? But if you tell a story, they can see themselves in that story. They can find themselves in the story. And then they, they, you just invite them to create their own story. So I'll often ask a question like, so what, what is the story? What's the narrative that you want to tell December 31st? I just said this the other day, December 31st, 2021. Pretend you're being interviewed. What's the story that you want to tell about your life? about your professional contributions, about your spiritual life, about your financial position, about your community leadership. So, I mean, like a coach can touch every part of a person's life. It's not restricted to uh, corporate or the business world because it bleeds over. It bleeds over into the way that they think about what they can and and can't do. So uh, I use a lot of what if statements what if you did blah, 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 blah? Or what, what would happen if you didn't do blah, 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 blah? Um, and, and, and it really does speak to people's uh, hearts. Um, once they, they really buy into to the fact that, that the pages of history are being written about us every single day, like at some point, you and I are not going to be on this side of God's green earth, right? And, and somebody's going to say something about you what do you want them to say about you? Like, like really be that intentional, right? And so I often will have people do, this is a great exercise to get in touch. Um, I have people do the 10 most defining moments of your life. Hmm. And Ryan did it and I included it in my last book. Uh, oh, wow. And he, uh, I, I won't spoil the story, but he said that that was like one of the, the best exercises that he had done because he he realized how far he had come. And then that propels you to think that you're going to do even that much more. Right. And so I, I like to take um, people to 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 history. And then I like to take them to future 20, 30, 40 years down the, the, the road and, and then just have fun in building a path, a co-creating, um, you know, as the architect of your own future. Right. Like if you had one of my favorite questions is if God came down tomorrow and he said, Cal, you could have whatever you want. Just tell me, what would that picture look like? And I want be as granular as you possibly can. And I want you to look at every facet of your life. 
So then we got this picture, right? And they, they give themselves permission to say, if I had no limits, this is what it would look like. If I had no fear, this is what it would look like. And all of a sudden they have these big audacious goals and dreams. That's what a coach can do for you. Wow. I, I, I love the concept of stories and the, and the putting together some of your past stories and then thinking about the stories that you want to tell uh, that resonates with me a lot. And the questions I, I am becoming more and more convinced of the, the value of coaching. In fact, I, I met with a coach, actually the last episode I released, it was the, at the beginning of the year. And he was just kind of coaching me on some of my goals. Honestly, the first time I've had a coach just asking yeah. me questions and just helping me clarify and kind of pull out and identify where I'm not, I'm not being clear enough or, or I'm focusing on things I can't control versus things I can control. Oh, I love that. And yeah. I think that, so I wanted to ask you about employee engagement and, and yeah. really what you think the keys are to that. And what I mean by that, for those that really maybe don't know that term of art, what, what I mean by that, when I ask that question is really getting maximizing people's potential, but also people coming to work and really enjoying being at work, feeling fulfilled at work. I mean, I, I hate the idea of people on my team coming into work and just be like, Oh gosh, I don't want to, you know, just another day in the office. Like I want people to feel engaged. And I think, I think there's evidence to show that when people are more engaged, they do better work and the team's better. So I just, I want to ask you as someone who works in that area and thinks a lot about that, what do you think are some of the keys to creating an environment where people are engaged the first one is the leader every in my in my uh, experience in my book uh we know from the gallup research people don't leave organizations they leave leaders mm-hmm. so it, it, it every leader has a team culture and you just said it i want people to come on my team yes my team so it, it, you got to have the responsibility piece, the accountability component, right? That whatever that 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 level of in the employee experience, you know, like in the corporate world, we'll talk about the consumer experience, and we do a lot of things to make sure that that experience is great. But a lot of times, we we we, we speak rhetoric. We say that people are the company's greatest asset, and we don't even say good morning to them. Yeah, we don't even say thank you, right? We can't give you five minutes because I'm so busy. I'm so important, right? So, so I think uh, you have to ask yourself the question. So, what is the employee experience that I want my team to have? What what is the team culture, right? What what are the principles of engagement that are going to define how we show up? And see. People, honestly, it's so easy. I mean, people, you know, try and make it like rocket science. It's not, okay? People don't care about any of what you're talking about in terms of your vision and your mission and all that. They don't care until you. they know that you care about them. It's not that hard. But people, because of bias, they don't connect with people across differences, so they don't speak to them or they don't give them opportunities or they shun them. And all of that, I just say, is wrong. It's just absolutely wrong. So, so you know, um, Peter Drucker says that Trump, um, that, um, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's, it's something like that, right? And, and, and so you can have the best strategy. You, you can even have the best product if your people are not happy. And that is your number one customer. And for all your listeners as leaders, your first customer is that employee who is on your team. Your second customer is on the outside. but Your first customer is on the inside. And so you got to look at yourself as being you know, responsible to serve those people and create the experience that you want them to have. Not that hard. <laughs> I I love that, and I think when I think about engagement, uh, what I think is the opposite is is the person who feels anonymous, the person who comes to work, and they just no one knows anything about them. Their leader never asks them any questions about their life. Never like to your point earlier about questions and stories, and, and I, I think that all is just is so critical. Why well, I, I have to ask you about uh, diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Uh, I, I would be it would be a podcast. Uh, malpractice to have you on the podcast (laughs) 
and not ask you Spoken about that. Spoken like a true lawyer. Like a true lawyer, right? <laughs> so, so tell us, what do those words mean to you? Because I want to start just by defining, because I think those words get thrown around a lot, diversity and inclusion. When, when you use those words, when you, when you coach people about that, what, is, what do those things mean, what those words mean to you? Yeah, so uh, diversity is about the uniqueness of each and every individual. So you can have two white men in a room and you've got diversity. That's part of our problem. People hear the words diversity and inclusion and they're like, uh, you know, I'm not included in that. That's crap. Okay. Um, if, if we align to that as a definition, then and only then are we all going to see that we have a role to play in advancing inclusion. And inclusion goes back to the question that you just said about, I want my team. I want my team to feel connected. I want my team to feel like they belong. I want my team to feel valued. Inclusion is creating a culture where the differences that the, the uniqueness of each and every individual is leveraged. It's celebrated. It's, it's not belittled. But what we do is we get a certain style of leader and then everybody has to act like that leader. I remember once in corporate, uh, the SVP that I reported to, he grew a goatee. All the guys had to grow <laughs> a goatee. He, he came and flapped his, his uh, binder down a certain way. Everybody... Like, what, it, what is this, right? And so if, if we can give space to allowing people to be authentic and just to demonstrate that, hey, I really do care about you, you're going to have inclusion. We have diversity. That's not our problem. Our problem is power, privilege, and oppression. Somebody wants to be top dog and somebody wants to be, you know, the king or queen, and they want to make people feel lower than. That, that's not the right thing to do. And, and I, I think um, at the end of the day, um, people are not going to remember how many widgets that you sold or how many cases that you solved or, or any of that. They're just going to remember how you treat them. Do you have any practical tips for how to create a more inclusive environment? I mean, it, I could see where like you're in a meeting and like, is there, are there ways to create a more inclusive meeting or, oh, yeah. uh, I don't know, just, just practical things that leaders can walk away with if they want to try to get at, at creating a more inclusive environment. Yeah. Well, let me just roll call first. <laughs> Let's make sure that we have a team that mirrors the face of the customer and the communities that we serve, okay? So let's make sure we got representation. Secondly, let's invite everybody's voice to the table. It is, doesn't cost a dime to say, hey, Cal, I haven't heard your, your point of view. I'd like to have you weigh in, right? I mean, that that's just simple as, as pie. The three, you can have courageous conversations. If, if you're afraid of talking about diversity and inclusion, guess what? They're not going to be talking about it in a very positive way. So call a team meeting, share what you think. And, and then the, the fourth thing is hold yourself accountable. What, what does inclusive leadership mean to you? Okay, what are the behaviors that are going to go align with that? And, and then measure your impact. Ask your team. And this is a simple exercise. Ask your, your team. They can, everybody listening can do this tomorrow. Just go back to your team and say, listen, I was listening to Cal Walters and his podcast and someone was being interviewed and she said, go back and ask your team, what is the definition of diversity? What is the definition of inclusion? And then uh, ask them on a scale of one to five, one low, five high, how would you describe your experience in terms of feeling inclusive? Mm. Just do that. Then listen. Then collectively build a plan of action to become more inclusive. Because if you ask people like, you know, what, what what's important to you, they'll tell you if you just ask. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for that. That's so practical and, and helpful. It, it makes me think when I think uh, about just Susan Cain, I believe in her TED Talks, oh, that's something wow. effective. Mm -hmm. you know, there's no correlation between those who talk the most and have the best ideas. And that really hit me. Uh, thinking about just the you know the typical meeting where you've got some people who are just very vocal, and then you have those people who, based on their personality or maybe based on their experience, are just less likely to speak up. And I think a leader's job is to pull out of them their contribution and and That's to right. and to really listen and to re to 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 not be dismissive. 
Now, now one thing leaders might be hesitant though, is, this, is, is, are we trying to get consensus or are we just trying to get buy-in? Cause I think there's a difference. Yeah. We're not trying to get consensus. We're just trying to get debate. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. we're not gonna always agree. Right. But, but if your viewpoint is different than mine, then I can't go around calling you the jerk face that doesn't understand the business. <laughs> Just because you didn't agree with my idea. And that's what we do, right? Instead of saying, tell me more. See, that's the curiosity piece. Tell me more. Or I love the people that don't talk very much. You know why? Their brain, their thing, man, their brain style, when they finally speak, they have cut that stuff a thousand ways. You could take it to the bank. But you know how we label them? We label them as... Well, you're not really participatory and we don't see your leadership contribution. I call BS. Mm. Everybody shows up in the way that they're supposed to show up. A leader's responsibility is to foster an environment where they can be their very best selves. And the only way that you can do that is when you're authentic. Amen. That's good stuff. So I, I've got only a couple minutes left with you. So I wanted to just get at least maybe one, maybe two of these lightning round questions. The first one, top marriage advice. Treat each other the same way that you treated each other when you were dating. Ooh, that's good. That's <laughs> I real wish good. I could claim that one. <laughs> my husband's uncle, he told us that. We asked him the, the, the question. And I think uh, and, and I think the, what I would, would, would add to that is, Find new ways to fall in love every day because what goes up must come down. And it's the same way in business. You don't reinvent yourself. Guess what? You're on your way down. You don't give him or her the reason to to love you more. Guess what? You're on your way down. So people who say, uh, you know, it's not work. Again, I call BS. I, I would say you have to be intentional. Yeah. That's 40 years now, <laughs> 40 years. In, <laughs> I think well, that's 40, so good. Almost 40 and a half. Yeah. 40 and a half years in July. It'll be 41 years. That's amazing. Well, thank you for that wisdom. Uh, top parenting advice. Make memories. Hmm. Make memories. Life goes so incredibly fast. That's so good. And you don't know where the time is going make memories. And then when you're gone, then they'll have something to hold on to. What is one habit, routine, ritual that has really made a big difference for you? Um, controlling the itty bitty committee. That's good. Affirmations. Yes. Controlling the itty bitty committee. It's made a huge difference. Uh, in, in in my life, a, a huge difference. And uh, I really, I really, really encourage people. See, the battle is up here, you know, you, you, you have to work that thing out. And uh, so I, I really believe in it. And, you know, as I uh, reach the stage in my career where I'll be making a pivot, um, you know, I'm going through it again. I mean, like you're going to go through it at stages, you know, like, okay, am I at, at 62? Am I going to be worth anything? Who's going to care about me? I mean, look, you, you just, this is life. We've got to figure out how we keep on jumping that S curve and keep on adding value. And I believe as long as you've got breath in your body, that God still has something for you to do. Absolutely. Well, Tree, this has been amazing. Any parting words for the leaders out there before we uh, before we move on? I know I got to get you on your next meeting. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. Uh, I've so enjoyed the conversation. I, I just would um, really want to encourage uh, leaders to to know that you're special people. I mean, everybody's a leader in their own right, but if you do have responsibilities for others, um, you know, consider yourself blessed you know, because you get to touch someone else's life in a very profound way. And if you look at it as an honor, instead of, oh, I'm so good, then you'll stay humble and and you'll stay where you're learning and you'll stay focused on what you can do to bring out the best in them. So just stay focused on what leadership is really all about. And at the end of the day, leadership is about people. It just comes down to, to that. Stay focused on the people and, and your performance is going to come. Your profits, it's going to come if you just treat people right. 
oh man, if we could just bottle that up and sell it and convince people that, you know, it's not that hard. Just a, a smile, a, a hello, a thank you. Hey, I believe you can do it. Um, you know, speaking possibility. I mean, you you really, I, I mean, if we had time, I could go back to to when I was in second grade and I could I could pinpoint exactly the people who were either teachers or uh, uh, parents or other loved ones or just community leaders who 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 spoke possibility and in, into my life and who who treated me with kindness and who told me uh, dream big and never give up on, on your dreams. Imagine if we just said to the people who work with us, what what are your dreams? Like, how can I help you fulfill your your greatest dream in life? And people would be like, what's wrong? What's what's happening in here? And honestly, if we um, if we could do that, then we can make money and we can uh, have great performance. But man, the people would be healthy and happy. And that's what makes a healthy organization. Trudy, this has been so much fun. You are amazing, and no, thank you. I, You're amazing. I am, uh, man. This has been a this has been a joy, and I just want to thank you for the great work you do. And man, so many great nuggets that we could pull from this conversation. So thank you for your time today. Thank you, thank you for everything that you're doing, and thank you for you know taking this on. Uh, what a wonderful um, opportunity to be a blessing to other people. So keep on keeping on. Congratulations. Thanks, Trudy. You have a great day. Hey friends, I hope you enjoyed that episode. So many wonderful takeaways for me. It, one of the things that I've really started thinking about since having this conversation with Trudy is what she talked about with the itty bitty committee and how so often that itty, itty bitty committee comes out and starts to spread lies into our brain or makes us think that we're not good enough or that we can't do something and we have that imposter syndrome and I just love the way she goes to those affirmations and I am going to take the time to, to put together some, some affirmations about myself that I know to be true and I want to encourage you to do the same thing and, and she had a wonderful set of affirmations that she told herself whenever that itty bitty committee came out and I think we can all do that to reset our mind to reframe what is true in an often challenging world that we all experience that that imposter syndrome uh, in certain moments of life. So I just want to encourage you to to go out and to remind yourself of what you can accomplish, what you can do today, the impact that you can have. I want to thank you again for tuning in. And just remember, life is short. Let's go make it count.